From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Uh, so we're in this Christmas series come, called Come to Worship. And Christmas is really a, a celebration of who we worship, right? Pastor Joey, Zoe, Joey. Zoe did a great job um, speaking to that in communion, um, that we really come to worship this baby who becomes uh, a man and dies on the cross for our sins, and we celebrate right, Jesus. And Jesus, as much as he was born for us, right? Like, Jesus came for us. The Savior came for us. He is for us, not against us. Um, we don't, he doesn't exist for us. Right? He came for us, but he doesn't exist for us. We actually exist for him, we exist to worship him. The Bible says in Colossians that we were created by him and for him, right? And so we come to worship him. And so this December, we're talking about postures of worship. And last week, we talked about lifting our hands as an expression of worship. And today, we're going to take on another posture, which is bringing our gifts. And so our key verse in this series comes from Matthew chapter 2, 1 and 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Not to come to receive from him, but we've come to worship him. So let's just pray one more time, open our hearts to the word and receive from the spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we thank you again for today. And we just take a moment to open our hearts to the things you want to say and the things you want to do. And Lord, I pray that today I'm just a vessel and I fade into the background and you just, you just get highlighted this morning and, and you'd speak to us clearly and, and we'd learn a little bit about postures of, of worship and how we can come before you and worship and express that worship. And you'd leave us changed and transformed. God, I pray for every person here today, God, whether they're in-house or online, everyone within the sound of my voice, that we'd all encounter your word in a way that is life-transforming. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Um, quick, very quick. What is your favorite Christmas carol? Somebody shout out a Christmas carol. Silent night, oh holy night. Those are the same things. Joy to the world. Jingle bells, yes. <laughs> Anybody else? That's your favorite Christmas carol? Santa Claus is coming to town? Jeez. Anybody on this side of the room? Hark the Herald. I like that one. There's a really good Lincoln Brewster version of that. Anybody else? Nobody? Oh, Holy Night. Yeah. Do you know this song I want to I bring to your attention? It's not my favorite, but there's some really cool renditions of it. Um, I don't even know if it's considered a carol, to be honest. I, I don't know how that works. I don't know what, when, what line something crosses and now it's a carol or if it's just a Christmas song. But the little drummer boy. Remember the little drummer boy? Uh, the Little Drummer Boy is, of course, not a biblical story, just so you know, though you might find him in the commercialized Christmas, you won't find him in the nativity scene, uh, but he's, he's become somewhat of a legend in modern Christ Christmas imagination, and I think it's really funny that Mary being exhausted and, you know, she's just given birth to a baby, and I know what that's like, we're coming, we're going to do, we're going to do it again. Uh, <laughs> She's exhausted. Maybe she just got baby Jesus to sleep, and this little boy shows up, and he's like, I know what this ba baby needs, a drum solo. <laughs> of 
course, Mary, being the pleasant woman that she is, just accepts this drum solo for what it is. I want to read you the lyrics to this song because I think they're meaningful. It says this. It says, come, they told me, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. That's the drum beat. I think. <laughs> Maybe it's a language. I don't know. A newborn king to see, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. Our finest gifts we bring, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. To lay before the king. Pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. Ra-pa-pum-pum. Ra-pa-pum-pum. <laughs> That's the lyrics. So to honor him, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum, when we come. And I find these lyrics to be super meaningful, and they actually speak to a posture of worship that we do find in the Christmas story. So he's not in the Christmas story, but we find this posture in the Christmas story. So let me just sum it up again. Come, they told me, a newborn king to see, our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king, so to honor him when we come. When you truly experience the grace of God, you can't help but show gratitude in some shape or form. When you truly recognize God for who he is and what he's done for you, that moves you to worship. That moves you to worship. And the natural outflow of worship is bringing what we have, right? It's bringing what we have to lay before him. It's coming and saying, I am not worthy. It's Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's a bowing down. It's a falling to our knees. It's expressing in song. It's a lifting up our hands, right? It's, it's gratitude that's being outflowing out of our hearts out onto the king. And this is the response actually in the Christmas story of the Magi. If we continue the story from our key verse, they come to Herod and they ask, where's, where's the king born to the Jews? And we've come to worship him. They did not come for anything else. They came to worship Jesus. That was the reason they came. And then it says King Herod, um, who was the king of the Jews under Roman authority, he was, he was a really evil dude, right? If you, could, if you could just lock that in your head. Um, hearing these words from the Magi that there was a newborn king of the Jews, he starts to panic and actually says all of Jerusalem, all of his, his people start to panic with him. Suddenly his kingdom is threatened. Suddenly his rule and reign and his authority is threatened. A little baby threatens him. And so King Herod, he actually lies to the Magi and he says, you know, we'll, we'll find out where he is. And when you find him, you know, let us know. And we'll, I want to worship too. And what's interesting, he goes to his, his chief priests and he goes to the teachers of the law. If you read that right in the text, he goes to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asks them, Where was the, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they knew. Like it says right in the text, they knew. They knew what the prophets had foretold and so they replied, in Bethlehem in Judea. Isn't that interesting? They knew where he was to be born. They knew that a baby was born. And yet some of them later on in the story, if you follow along in the story, in the Gospels, they don't follow after Christ. So he lies to the Magi and he sends them on their way. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, key verse for today. It says, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, this skims over a lot of the story, but if you could actually imagine that you're these magi coming from the east, you know, most scholars suggest and think that that is in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. So that journey from where they're coming from to where they are to see Jesus would have been approximately 1,400 kilometers, give or take, probably more. 
and they're not driving. Now, for some of you, like, I don't do that. That doesn't mean anything for me. What does that mean? Imagine you're driving 100 kilometers an hour. It would take you 14 hours to drive that. They're not driving in a car at 100 kilometers an hour. They're likely on camels, maybe walking. So this would have been a trek. This would have been a, a very difficult journey, but they're willing to, to travel a great distance to come and worship. Today, we have a hard time just driving around the block to get to church. Like, oh man, it's like at least 15 minutes. I didn't sign up. Oh, I'll just keep my PJs on, flip my pancakes, and turn it on on the YouTube. We have a hard time, and they're willing to travel a great distance. They're willing to trek as far as they could go to see this king, to worship him, not to come to receive, right? You got to keep that in mind. They're not here to receive. They're here to worship. And so it continues on in verse um, 10 and 11. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I just want to quickly pause on a word here. It says, when they saw the star where it stopped, they were overjoyed. Now, that word, depending on what Bible translation you have, um, that word overjoyed is actually four Greek words for joy. If you, if you went into the original language, there's four Greek words that are translated into overjoyed. Some Bible translations will say they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is like a compounding joy. They're ecstatic. They're like a kid at Christmas. Like picture a kid Christmas morning. Like this is how much joy is filling him. They're overjoyed. There's joy on joy on joy. These men are men who know the scriptures enough to know that a Messiah would be born, right? They know that a star would appear. We actually see that in Numbers. They knew the stars enough to recognize which star would be his star. And then they travel this great distance. And when they finally come to worship, they are over and above joyed. Like there's so much joy welling up inside them. They can't help but open up their treasure. Now, I think today in churches, um, we have the opposite response. We're underjoyed. We're underjoyed. Christmas, yeah, Christmas carols. Sing before the king. We don't sing that one in church. Maybe we do. I don't know. We're underjoyed. You would think that we would be the most overjoyed people on the planet. Joy can look like a number of things, but to think that God loved us so much, if we believe this to be true, that he loved us so much that he came to earth for us, died on the cross for our sins, gave us his righteousness in Jesus, all of which we didn't deserve, you would think that would make us a little bit joyful. you think there'd be a little bit bursting out. We come to worship and maybe we gripe about the songs. I don't like this song. This young preacher singing these new hip hoppity songs. Nobody does that here, at least to my face. <laughs> we gripe about the look, maybe even the sermons, don't you dare. We find something wrong, right? We, we gripe about restrictions and rules, about the traffic. If there's tra I don't think there's traffic coming to, to Corona or traveling within Corona. I think maybe we've forgotten what we're saved from. I think maybe we've forgotten 
why Jesus came. I think we've forgotten what it means that this baby had to come to make a way. We have a Lord who loves us enough to come for us. It's Emmanuel. A God who is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. A mighty ruler who is peace, hope, love, everywhere present, all powerful. Don't you dare come underjoyed. Even if you got to give yourself a pep talk. Why, why do we gather and why do we come? It's because Jesus. No other reason do we meet every single week? Do I prepare every single week? Does the team prepare every single week so we can have these services? Other than it's the fact that Jesus came and he died and he rose again to take away our sin and give you his righteousness so you can have what? Eternal life so you can have abundant life. That should bring some joy. And if it doesn't, maybe we should remind ourselves in the morning and say, why am I going to church today? Because the king has come. And let some joy fill up in your hearts. And here's the difference, okay? This isn't even in my notes. But joy is not happiness. You can have really bad circumstances happen and still have a resounding joy underneath all that. Because joy is not based on circumstance. Happiness is. Like you can feel sad and your circumstances can stink and you can still feel joy about a savior. Because this stinks and this is not good and I don't like this and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, but I'm thankful that I have a God who saved me. So do you know what? This is not my final place. That should bring some joy. That should bring some joy. They were overjoyed. So we should be overjoyed. We should come and worship and we should not just be nice Canadians and just clap. <laughs> Let's lift a shout of praise. That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a clap. That's what we do, right? Shout by definition is shout. <laughs> not a clap of praise. Shout of praise, but we're just, we're prim and proper. We should, but we should clap and we should celebrate and we should smile and we should get excited and we should lift our hands and we should bring, what, our treasure. We should do these things not because of how we feel but because of who Jesus is, right? So they're overjoyed when they came and how do they express that joy? It says they bowed down and worshiped him. And we're gonna look at that in another week. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were so full of joy of finding Jesus, that they opened their treasure and gave gifts to the one who would save them. They were overjoyed to give. You know, sometimes we're really reluctant. We're hesitant. We get worried, but they didn't hold back. Do you know when you find that perfect gift for someone, the, the special someone? You find the perfect gift, not just a gift. Like you find the perfect gift, like how exciting it is for you to give that gift, right? Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Like how excited you get, you're like, man, they're going to love this. This is it. They've wanted this and I found it. It's the last one. Yeah. Some of you can't even wait till Christmas morning. You just got to give it early, right? Because you're just so excited. That's the joy of giving. That is the joy that they have here. Just as singing a song or, or lifting our hands, we bring gifts as an expression of worship. Your treasure as an act of worship. So tithes and offerings. Oh, did he just go there? Yes, it did. Materials. Those are the things we bring as an offering of worship. Why are we talking about giving, Pastor, when like, it's really hard. I got a lot of gifts to buy for because Christmas is about generosity. 
It's about the generosity of Jesus, the generosity of our Father, which should outflow in us and we should be the same. If we've received generosity of Christ, we should have an outflow of generosity. It should be the natural response. Christmas, as we reflect on the gift of Jesus, should be a time like the Magi, where we're filled with joy to be generous. I just can't help but be generous because of what's been given to me. And the little drummer boy who didn't have a lot, but what he did have was a drum solo. And he brought it. So when you tithe, when you set aside a portion of your pay, your increase to bring that to the church, the storehouse, that's an act of worship. When you, when you go over and above and you give an offering, that's what an offering is. Tithes and offerings are not the same thing, okay? When you give an offering that's over and above the tithe to a project or a need, that's not just meeting the need. That's not just being kind to the person or thing that, that is in need. That's an act of worship. When you use your possessions, what you have to regularly serve the church and serve others, that's an act of worship. When you give yourself to volunteer, even when it's hard, even when the, the thing that you're volunteering to do is not something you like doing, that's an act of worship. Because just so you know, if you're here to serve me and you're here to serve this institute that is called Parkway, you've got it all wrong. Don't serve me. You're here to serve Jesus. I don't do this. To, I, I do it by by default, serve you as I preach, but I'm not doing it for you. You're not that special. You are. I do this for Jesus. This is an act, for me, this is an act of worship, right? When you give your time and your talent and your treasure, it's an act of worship. Love gives. And my hope is that we would be a community, we would be a people who are so overcome with the love of God. That we love to give, that it brings joy to our hearts, that it, that it builds up in us a, a posture of generosity because God gave everything to us. There's a correlation between loving God and generosity. Dare I say, dare I say that could we really love God and not be generous? Or could we really be walking in a depth of relationship with Jesus and not be generous, because that is who Jesus is. That is who God is. He is a generous God. He didn't need to come down and save us. He didn't need to send Jesus. He wanted to. Why? Because he loved us. What is the most famous Bible verse in the whole entire world? You see it at sporting events. John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say for God, you know, thought it might be an, a nice thing to do for others that he parted with his son. It says he's so loved that he gave. Love gives. Love gives. God looked at his creation, the world, and all of its sinfulness and our inability to make it right, realizing we'd been separated from him because of sin. And his love gave us Jesus. A baby, God, born a baby at Christmas time to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, but rise again and save all of those who would put their faith in him. That is what love does. 
love gives. If you get nothing else from today, two words for you, love gives. God is love. He doesn't just show love. He is love. And an outpouring of his love is generosity. Now, I don't think, I think, you know, I'm going to be nice. Because I think a lot of us, we love, but we're reluctant. I love God and I want to give, but I'm worried. Or I'm concerned. Or I don't know if I have enough. Or what do I have? Or how am I going to do this? And we, the human part of us takes over and we start, you know, reasoning and rationalizing and running through our brain all these different things. And I'm with you. I go there, right? There's two natures Paul talks about, us, about this in, in, in the scriptures at work in us. There's the sinful nature, right? When Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do those things. Right? There's the law of sin, but there's also the law of the spirit. And sometimes when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, we're like, oh, I love God and I want to worship him. But then we jump over to this one and we say, but, 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 but. And I believe that the enemy, who is very deceptive, puts thoughts in our brains. He's just whispering in our ear saying, no, but what about that thing you got to do? about that bill? What about that car you got to buy? What about that, th that thing that's happening? You can't do that. You'll have nothing left. There'll be nothing for you. Are they really worthy? What are they going to do with it anyway? What are they going to do? You're going to bring some offering? What are they going to do? They're going to waste it away. They're, they're just going to throw it in your head. And you get these thoughts and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, what if, what if I can't pay this? And you receive this deception. You receive this lie. Maybe you've had a poor experience. Maybe you've had a poor experience with generosity before, with giving, with tithing, with offering, with sharing of your possessions. Maybe someone broke trust. I don't know. You know that. God knows. Listen, listen to what King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 3, verses, starting verse 5. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So he's saying, do not lean on your own ability to understand. Don't just use reason and don't just use logic, but trust him, not your thinking. Trust in God. Lean on God, not lean on your own understanding. Because sometimes my understanding says, I got a budget and my budget is set this way and this is what's going to happen. And yeah, I know you want me to do this, but that's not here. And this makes sense and this flows right. And this makes sure everything's covered, right? And then we go over here, and get, but he's saying, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. If we continue, he says this, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor, can we just keep up this verse? Honor the Lord with your wealth. That word honor in, in the original language has behind its meaning to make great, to make glorious. It's a worship term. Trust the Lord and worship him with your wealth. Worship the Lord with your, with your, with your treasures, with your possessions. If we think back to the wise men, right? They were overjoyed and they opened their treasure. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, we did a series uh, long ago. It might have been before we, yeah, I think it was before COVID on, on first, first things first. And one of the things we talked about was first fruits. 
First fruits is a, is a biblical term of bringing the first of your increase to the storehouse, right? Of what God gives you to the storehouse as an act of worship. And this is commonly known as the tithe. And what we actually practice in our church is, is tithe. It's, it means a tenth. It means 10%. So honor, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Honor, worship the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. Listen, he says the first fruits. It's not the last fruits. It's not the remaining fruits. It's not the leftover fruits. He doesn't say, honor the Lord and worship the Lord with the leftovers. God is not a fan of leftovers. You might like leftover meals, you know, you can't wait for leftover pizza because it tastes really good cold. You guys are the crazy ones when you eat pizza cold. I don't really do that. I like, to, I like it a little lukewarm, you know, maybe 10 seconds in the microwave, but that's enough, right? But we like leftovers. God is not a leftover God. He's not like, eat what you want, do what you need, and then just give me the crumbs at the end because those are my favorite portions. He's saying, honor the Lord with the, what, first of your increase, the first 10%. What he's saying here is we trust God and we worship him when we give him our first and our best. Not the last. It's not waiting to see what's left. It's not waiting to see if you're going to have enough. That's not worship. That's not honor. Trusting God by definition means that you're having confidence that he will provide afterwards. I'm trusting you, Lord. Like that's, what's, that's why it's called a sacrifice. I'm giving this, this tithe, this 10% of my increase as an offering, and I'm trusting you because right now I don't have anything that's left over for what things I got to do. That's why we trust in him and lean not on our own understanding. Because if I lean on my own understanding, I'm like, I'm just going to hold off, make sure I can pay this stuff first and do these things first, and then I'll give. God, then I'll give. If once I get, once I get my bonus, it's Christmas time, I might get a Christmas, I don't know, maybe you do that. Christmas bonuses. When I get a bonus, when I get a pay raise. You know, if you keep waiting to give, you'll never give. Because giving generosity is a character trait. It doesn't matter how much you have. And actually, statistics show, I think I shared this like years ago, statistics actually show in Canada, the more money you have, the less generous you are. You want to be a generous person? <laughs> Don't make a lot of money. <laughs> Give it all away. Honor God, trust. I've heard it said this way, we bring our first and our best and we trust God to bless the rest. And that sounds crazy, right? Doesn't that sound crazy? That doesn't sound logic, but we serve a God who calls us to have faith. And, and he can do more with, with blessing 90%. He can do more by you giving him 10% and, and you keeping 90%. He can do more with that and your open hand than you can with 100%. And it's percentage for a reason because it's not based on, it's not, God doesn't need your money. It's not like I need to make budget guys this month. And so you need to give X amount of dollars. It's a percentage because that works on in any situation. God can do more with an open hand in 90% than you can do with a closed hand in, in 100%. I heard, I heard my, my pastor actually said this to me years ago. He said, if we hold on to our, to our treasure, our, our, our possessions and our finances, our wealth like this, what happens when God wants something? He's got to pry it open and that's going to hurt. But if we approach God like this, we say, everything I have is yours anyway. Everything that's possibly come to me is from you anyway. And guess what he can do? Not only can he take when he wants to take, but he can give when he wants to give. Because there's an open hand, not only to give, but there's an open hand to receive. And there's a promise behind this. 
He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's the principle of you reap what you sow. And those, the scriptures say, who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. I invite the worship team to come back up. So now like the Magi, the Magi didn't give because a pastor preached it. It's not done, the scriptures tell us, to be done begrudgingly. I don't want your money. This is an act of worship. This is between you and God. The scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. This is done out of the joy in your heart for who Jesus is. I received a God story recently. I've been asking for testimonies and God stories, things that God has done over the course of this past year from people. And I received this one from a couple in our church. They talked about how many businesses struggled and closed during COVID. But this couple chose to continue to give and tithe and trust God through it all. Their words, trust God through it all. And their company had the best year in sales since it opened. Not only that, but that a record year, which allowed them to bless their staff and their staff's families, which was a witness of Christ to them. They trusted God when businesses were closing and their vats filled up. I'm not saying that's, you know, that's, a, that's how God works, but there is a reap what you sow. Not, um, this is not prosperity gospel, right? I'm not like, I hate that. Give $100 and you'll receive 1000 Sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's like, you know, something breaks down and you don't know how you're going to afford, but because you were generous and you gave, that comes through and somebody else comes along and helps you fix it. You know, your vehicle doesn't work or whatever, but you are faithful in, in giving. Someone comes along and helps you fix it. But God's generosity looks like so many different things. And I think there's a lot of people, I'll even look in this room and I can, I know your stories from, from this past year. Some of you can testify that God has kept us through. It's been struggle, but we were faithful and God's kept us going. Because they gave the story, this couple, God blessed. You know, if I look back over, over our life, Jody and I's life and how God has blessed us, I think we both can testify it's because we trusted God with our finances. Sometimes it was really hard. But then we can look back and be like, wow, like we see God's blessing and we see his hand and I can't give anybody else praise. I'm not really good with money. I'm not like amazing. I'm not like, you know, I'm really good with stocks and that's how, it would, I don't even know how stocks really work. But I'm faithful. Try to be faithful. Trust in God. And he's faithful in return. You know what we've also done too? Is every so often as we, as we, we sit down and we pray, we take a look at our numbers and we say, it's time to trust again. And we increase. We increase the percentage. Because I don't want it to become something that's easy. I want there to be a sacrifice. I need to trust you here, Lord. Because if I don't trust you here, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm giving this to you. I'm trusting you. Trust in God, the proverb says. Honor God with your wealth and your barns will be filled with overflowing. And just as a note, when you give to this church, to this storehouse, you're partnering with the everyday things that we do here as a church. This service is able to, to be done because of your partnership. Online ministry, 
This upcoming week, we're going to be going and blessing students at Colonel Cameron. You can, you're part of that. Giving to missionaries overseas, you're part of that. Photos for our community with Santa, you're part of that. The lights are on. There's, there's running water in the bathroom. I've been in some nations where their churches do not have running water, so we can praise God for that. You put, I, I'm overjoyed for that. I'm overjoyed. I, I'm overjoyed to be a partner of this church. But it's more than just wealth. And it's more than just treasure. And it's more than just money. That's important. That's huge. What you do with your money is an indicator of your heart. But the ultimate gift you can give, you ready for it, is yourself. The ultimate gift that you can give is you. Paul the Apostle, if you remember Paul the Apostle, he was once a man who hated Christians. He had a mission to jail and kill Christians. And on his way on this mission, Jesus grabbed a hold of his heart. He had an encounter and it changed his life. He put it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is what Jesus said when Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say deny 90%, you keep 10. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, die to yourself. Paul said it that way, I died to me. Because you gave, that's the outflow of, of what God has done is like because you did this in my life for me, I can't help but lay down my life for you. It's not duty because then that's not life transforming, right? You don't do this out of obligation because then you haven't really truly received. It's, it's not compulsory, it's, it's joy. It's a joy to put me aside. It's a joy to say, I follow after you. It's a joy to pick up my cross and say, the old self is gone, the new self is here. It's a joy. That is true, Paul says. That is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, not just your money, not just your tithe, not just your offering, not just your, your time, not just serving on the dream team in the rotation of whatever it is you serve. Your body, offer all of you, 100%. You know, some people get caught up in the whole tithe thing. They say that's an Old Testament thing. The New Testament, yeah, the New Testament is different. But if you notice Jesus, he brings a lot of things deeper. Have you noticed that? Like Old Testament adultery was just committing adultery, right? It was just cheating on your spouse. It was fornicating, right? Jesus says, if you have committed lust in your mind, you've already committed adultery. Hate, murder, heard that one? Do not murder. That's Old Testament. That was just taking the life. Jesus said what? He took it deeper. He said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. So listen, if I go to the whole thing and we say, hey, what's the New Testament about? The New Testament is you give everything back. Like it's so, it's a hard issue. It's a hard thing. It's not a finance thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a heart. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Offer yourselves. This is your true and proper worship. And this was the Magi. In response to Jesus, they were overjoyed and they gave. Love gives. God love first. And that stirs us to love him, to worship him, to bring what we have before him. So just in a moment, we're going we're gonna to call up some people, but I want us to just bow our heads and take a moment to pray.
all over this place and house and online. I just want you to take a moment. Let's respond to this. I want us to pray and ask God how we, how he would have us give this season or give today or start. Lord, how can I bring my treasure? What treasure do I need to bring and lay before you? And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you just begin to put your finger on some things in people's lives. Maybe today someone's gonna tithe for the very first time. Maybe someone's gonna give for the very first time. Maybe someone's gonna present an offering. Maybe someone's gonna join the team. Maybe someone's gonna share a possession. Holy Spirit, speak. Just ask them right now, church, all over the place. How would you have me give? How would you have me give? You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't identify as a follower of Jesus as a Christian. But something is stirring in your heart. The Holy Spirit has grabbed a hold of your heart. Jesus has become real to you. Maybe today is the day that you commit to following after him, to giving yourself to him. And if that's you, just say that, say a quiet prayer between you and the Lord in your heart. Just say, I commit to following you. Be Lord of my life. Forgive my sin. I believe in you. It's the greatest gift in response. How would you have me give, Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Now, as you hear from God, you can look up. Trust in him. Trust in him. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but trust him. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.